Well, turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. We're continuing in this wonderful Gospel, and last week we really focused on Jesus calling these 12 together, the 12 apostles who were also disciples of Christ, and He is preparing them for ministry. And that's what I want us to remember that uh, chapter 10 of Matthew's Gospel is that. It is uh, Jesus' 12 being sent on mission to evangelize and proclaim the gospel. And I think there's a lot here in this chapter that can help us today as the church to discern what it is to proclaim the gospel, the proper attitude, the proper approach. And I think over the next couple of weeks here as we work through this chapter, there's going to be much here that we're all going to see, oh, wait a minute, I'm doing this wrong. Amen. <laughs> I mean, how many of us have, have approached proclaiming the gospel our own way? How many times have we fallen flat on our face? Let's take a look at what God's word says. And Matthew chapter 10 is a wonderful focus as Christ himself, as he teaches his 12, he's teaching us what it means to be sent to preach the gospel to evangelize on mission. Amen? So if you're able to stand, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. And let us begin in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, reading through verse 15. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is on, if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if is it not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house, that town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Hmm. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we praise you for the truth of your word. And as Jesus is instructing his 12 on a mission, he is laying out exactly the expectations of preaching the gospel. He's laying out the dependence necessary upon himself as we are called to proclaim the gospel. Lord, too often we want to shape the mission in a way that the world wants it shaped or even how what makes us comfortable in the mission of proclaiming the gospel. But Jesus here is laying out some very important realities and expectations, not just for his 12, but even for us now. And so God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you would challenge us, that you would inspire us, that you would call us to a mission to preach the gospel wherever we go, but to preach the gospel in the manner that you desire it to be preached. 
Nothing more, nothing less. Speak to us now, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Please have a seat. Here in chapter 10, uh, Matthew continues his introduction of the 12 apostles. Remember back in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 10, he called to him his 12 disciples, but then as he introduces the names, he calls them apostles. They were disciples, students of Christ. But as he's calling these 12 together, he's giving them a special authority, a new title of apostle. What is the message that Jesus is instructing them to proclaim? He's calling them to evangelize the the message that the kingdom of heaven is here. And he's preparing these 12 for ministry and he's sending them out on their own. Has anyone here ever been in charge of training someone at work for a job? Anyone ever try to train children to be good human beings? Parents, fathers, mothers. There is something about sending them out to where they have to learn something on their own, but you give them some direction, you give them some guidance. And I think Jesus here is, that's what he's doing here. He's preparing these 12 men for ministry. Beginning in Matthew chapter 4, Verse 17, we see that Jesus proclaimed the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you remember when we looked at Matthew chapter 4 last year sometime? But now here in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus instructs these disciples, these 12 apostles, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. So here's what we got to figure out as we go through chapter 10. What is the good news that Jesus wants them to proclaim? What is the kingdom of heaven that he is pointing people to? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what is this? Romans chapter 14 verse 17 helps us because the apostle Paul, when he's talking about the tension about whether you should eat meat sacrificed to idols, he says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So you want to understand what the kingdom of God is. It is righteousness and peace and joy that the Holy Spirit brings. That's the kingdom of heaven. Amen. All other things are trivial. The focus of the gospel is this. There is righteousness through Christ imparted amongst the elect. There is peace that comes to the mind and the heart of the righteous. There is joy that comes out in the church and amongst God's people. And all of this is because the Holy Spirit is now resting upon his people. Amen. That's the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not an earthly kingdom. It is a kingdom that Jesus comes and establishes amongst the transformed, the regenerate, the new hearts of all of his people. That's the kingdom of heaven. So that's the message that these disciples, these 12 apostles, are called to proclaim. We could also look here deeper about the kingdom of heaven. Remember back in, in beginning in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, when we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was explaining through chapters 5 through 7 exactly what is the kingdom of heaven, right? The, the kingdom of heaven is salt that with a strong preservation and taste that was necessary uh, the, the kingdom of heaven is light that is seen on a great hill for all to see. Remember that? Uh, the kingdom of heaven is the fulfillment of the law, not something that replaces the law. The kingdom of heaven fulfills the Mosaic law and the prophets. The kingdom of heaven 
is an inheritance for the poor in spirit. You remember that's how Jesus opens up his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is also a strong foundation. Remember the the parable there of of the man who built his house upon the rock versus the man who built his house upon the sand. The kingdom of heaven is a strong foundation. And we also saw as Matthew was called to ministry in Matthew chapter 9, the kingdom of heaven is a place of mercy. That's the proclaiming of the gospel that Jesus is calling these men to do. Are we doing the same? Are we calling the kingdom of heaven anything other than what we've been looking at in Christ's words himself? Remember? That's the kingdom that we're to proclaim. So now as Jesus prepares these 12 apostles for ministry, he sends them on a mission to evangelize. That is to preach the good news of the kingdom of heaven, specifically in this ministry that he's calling them to. He's calling them to preach to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Is a specific targeted mission in chapter 10. These men would take over the ministry that Jesus established. When Jesus was gone, he knew that he would be tra- he would be handing things over to these 12. And he said, now's the time for me to prepare you for that. Now, remember, we talked about this last week. At this point of the gospel narratives, it's probably about halfway through Jesus's three-year ministry. So at this point, moving forward, these 12 would be shaped and prepared in ways that only Jesus could prepare them to take over the ministry and to establish the church once Jesus goes back to heaven to be with his father. That's what's happening here. Now, we don't know exactly the length of this itinerant mission. All we know is that Jesus is sending them out to preach to the lost sheep of Israel, and then they would return back to him. But we do know that Jesus teaches some foundational principles here. The mission... What we can glean here that the mission seems to be one that is a short, on a short timeline, right? The disciples are not to spend extended time in each village or city where they were to go and they were to move on to the next where the gospel would be received. They weren't to linger in any place for very long. They were to preach the gospel and move on because they had a lot of territory to cover as they were then to come back to Jesus and report. And we'll, we'll be looking at that later, right? So they were to visit all the villages and cities in the region and return to Jesus. And he would listen to their reports and encourage them. But now let me let me pause here before we jump into this deeper. Just because we're looking at Matthew chapter 10 and Jesus talking specifically to 12 apostles. This message is also for you and me. Not that we are called to be apostles. That's a different message altogether. Okay. <laughs> the age of the apostles is over. We're not apostles. Anyone who gets on TV or the internet and says, I'm an apostle of the Lord, they are lying to you. The age of the apostle is over, okay? Because we have the complete word of God right here. The church is established. So here's what I say. When we look at this text, we have to look at it from this perspective. All Christians, all of the church, we are all called to not only pray to the Lord of the harvest that we saw in Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. We're not just called to pray that God would send people out. We are called to proclaim the gospel, and we are called to go forth. I'm going to let that settle. 
Remember last week when I got done, I asked you if your toes were crunched. I told you to loosen up your toes because I know a lot of you at the end of last week's sermon, you were, your toes were curled up because it was hurting pretty bad. We are called forth to proclaim the gospel. We are to preach the gospel, period. It's one thing to pray, to send forth, and we should. But as we pray to send forth, we're also praying, dear God, where are you sending me? Let's remember that as well. All Christians are the laborers of the harvest. That's the fundamental purpose of the church, to shine the light of Christ to a dark and fallen world. We are laborers of the harvest, every one of us who are Christians. Don't forget that. Not just these 12 who Jesus is sending, okay? So let's first look at what Jesus instructs these men to do. Let's look at verses 5 through 15. Jesus is now laying out exactly the mission. He's explaining the, the, uh, the steps to take. He's, he's talking about the provisions for the ministry. And this is what I want us to see here in verses 5 through 15, and actually moving on through the rest of chapter 10. The one thing, if you take nothing else away from this study of Matthew chapter 10, I want you to take away this. In no way does Jesus say, prepare yourself for the mission. What does he say? He says, I want to tell you what you must depend upon on the mission. Let's take a look here. <laughs> Let's take a look here at what he says. Look here at verse 5 and following. He sa- Jesus says, stay away from the Gentiles and the Samaritans. And I'm going to put in parentheses there in bracket, for now. Because we know at the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 8, all of the church is then sent out to proclaim the gospel to everyone, all of the world. But this particular mission was focused on the lost sheep of Israel. He wants them to focus on the lost sheep here in verse 6. Why? He wants them to proclaim and preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand to the lost sheep of Israel because right now Jesus' ministry was primarily in Galilee and the surrounding areas. He wanted to kind of lay down the groundwork for the gospel ministry. It's what he'd been doing for the last year and a half of his ministry. He'd been preaching and going around to different villages and cities and and, and calling disciples to himself. And now he's going to kind of start handing things over. The one thing that we also need to see here is that everything in, in chapters in chapter 10, verse 5 and following, I want you to remember that not one thing that Jesus calls them to is anything that Jesus himself has not already been doing. So when these disciples, these apostles go and proclaim the gospel, what are they doing? They are actually imitating their master, savior, Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus has been doing and is doing, these men are called to similar acts to reflect who? Not themselves. They are to reflect Christ. Let's look here in in verse, uh, verse eight. He says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons as part of proclaiming and preaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's This is everything that Jesus has been doing. Has Jesus not up until this point of Matthew's gospel, he's been healing people. He's been raising people from the dead. He's been cleansing lepers, showing compassion on them. He's been casting out demons. And now he's calling these apostles to do the same. Now, is that what he is calling all of us to do? Maybe not. Maybe. He's not calling us necessarily to go around and perform miracles to this level. I think this is something that apostles were granted specifically at this time of biblical history. 
These signs and wonders that the apostles practice, I want you to see they are a direct reflection of who Christ is and what he's already done. Nothing more, nothing less. They are a sign. Remember, what all of these chapters that we've been looking at about signs and miracles, what do they do? All miracles that Jesus undertakes, and now these apostles, they are signs pointing to something else. They're pointing to the heavenly reality of perfection and sinlessness. Because what is Jesus? He is the Son of God, incarnate Himself, stepping into humanity, heaven showing up on earth. That's what the miracles are for. They're pointing to something beyond what we know here. That's the point of healing and casting out demons. Amen? Healing of disease. It's an image of healing of sin. Raising from the dead is a reflection of of Christ eventually raising from the grave and conquering death. Right? Death is conquered when Christ is done. Casting out demons. This is pointing to Jesus and his authority conquering Satan, defeating Satan, casting him out of the corrupt creation that he, that he distorted. And, and, and even the casting of Satan out of heaven, casting him out of people who are innocent and needing of healing. All of this points to a greater spiritual warfare that's going on that Jesus himself has authority and power over. That's what he's showing. Now look here as he's sending out in verses 7 and 8, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is hand, and as you go, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. He's sending them forth to reflect Christ in all that they say and do. Everything that we are called to do by Christ, to preach the gospel, points to Christ. That's it. Don't forget that at all. They're to reflect Christ in all that they say and do, even in the signs and the wonders. Because imagine if you are a a, a human being, a man here who has been given this level of authority, this kind of power to cast out demons and raise people from the dead. What does power do to men? It can corrupt them quickly. Can you imagine Jesus, the Son of God, granting these 12 men just a little bit of His same power to do what He's been doing? Can you imagine where sinful hearts can take that? That's why Jesus, as He's teaching them and encouraging them, He's reminding them, don't depend on yourself. Reminding them that you must remind everyone who has sent you. You are reflecting me. You're representing me. You're representing the kingdom of heaven that you're proclaiming. That'll keep you humble if it's done the right way. Amen? Now let's look here at verse 8 a little bit farther. Here in verse 8, as he's telling them to heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, look at the end of verse 8. He says, you receive without paying, give without paying. Now the King James Version says, freely you have received, freely give. Now what does he mean by this? Think about this deeper. Jesus grants forgiveness freely. Now, He pays the price for our sin. There is an eternal cost to our sin that Jesus takes upon Himself for us. But has Jesus freely forgiven you of your sin? Yes. If we come to Christ 
as the Holy Spirit draws us to Christ and we are repentant and serious and sincerely believing in Christ and have faith that what he has done on the cross is enough. There is nothing else we do because everything that is done for our sin is done by Christ freely for us. So that's, I think that's part of what he's telling us here in verse eight. As he's talking to these disciples, the King James, freely you have received, freely you give. In my ESV, you receive without paying, give without pay. Don't go out proclaiming the gospel in any other way than the way that I, Christ, your Savior, have forgiven you. That's the point here. He grants forgiveness as a free gift. The hope of salvation is given with no expectation of payment because if if Jesus expected anything from us to earn that forgiveness, then that forgiveness is no longer valid. Amen? Come on, Baptist Church, you can say amen to that. Right? If we have to earn that forgiveness, if we have to pay anything for that forgiveness, that forgiveness is null and void. That's part of why he's saying here to these apostles. These apostles then, therefore, they're sent on this mission to preach the good news of salvation with a free heart, to preach it freely, to serve others freely, to heal and conduct miracles freely, all as an exact reflection of who Christ is and what he has done. Now, this is a clear contrast to the TV evangelist and the, and the internet folks who go out there and say, if you send me something, then you will get a blessing. If we are called by Christ to preach the gospel, we give it freely to everyone. We don't demand anything from anyone, just as Christ does not demand anything from us. All he expects us to do is to believe and to have faith and trust that all that he has done is enough. That's it. Amen. Now, that's hard for us to do as sinners. That's why it requires the Holy Spirit to change us. That's why God, through His Spirit, transforms our will to be His will. That's the process. That's another sermon altogether. Do you see where we're going here? We are to preach freely what Christ has given us freely. If Christ has given Himself to us freely, we're to give ourselves freely to proclaim the gospel to all. In other words, what Jesus is saying here as we continue to look at this this text is he's telling the disciples, you depend on me for everything. How many of us depend upon Christ for everything? I mean, everything. As Jesus is sending these 12 out, this is the point here. Evangelism and proclaiming the gospel requires full dependence on Christ the Savior, who we are preaching about. If we can't depend on Jesus Christ, how can we expect others to depend on Jesus Christ as we preach to them? Amen? So if you are struggling in your spiritual life, in your Christian life, well, dear Jesus, I'm out there doing the best I can. How come nobody's listening? Could be a lot of that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is still preparing hearts. That could be a big part of it. But what if the Holy Spirit is also preparing you even more? Are you fully dependent upon Christ, the one whom you are preaching? If we expect others to depend on Christ, God's going to expect us to depend on him too. That's part of what he's talking about here in this text. In other words, live out what you preach. Live out dependence. Live out the kingdom of heaven 
that Jesus Christ Himself has stepped into the creation of the world. If He has stepped into it, we step into it, but we bring Christ and proclaim Him. That's what we're doing. In other words, look here at verses 8 through 10. All right, so we can begin you know, as, at the end of verse 8 where it says, You receive without paying, give without pay. Look at verse 9. Acquire no gold nor silver nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. These verses right here, 9 and 10, don't pay for anything. Don't take anything with you. Depend upon the provision of the Lord throughout the entire mission. Now, I have preached on this passage many times over the years, and usually in the context of sending out missionaries. Americans who go on mission are the biggest ones who fail in this command. How many of us have been on a mission trip before? How many suitcases did you take? Bill took one. Mike, how many did you take? You took one? You took one? How big was the bag? <laughs> That's the next question. That's all you had. Yeah. Uh, over the years, I've done several mission trips for myself. I've led groups on mission trips. And the number one problem that we run into trying to travel with about 15 or 20 people is luggage. Amen. Um, right, Bill? Been there? <laughs> it can be a problem trying to coordinate everything. I think if we point people back to this context of what Jesus is saying here, I think we can see something very important. If we are taking everything we need with us on a mission, where's room for Christ? Are we dependent that wherever we go, that the Lord has sent us, that, that, we'll, be, that we'll be provided for? If we go with just the clothes on our back, are we going to be taken care of? Is God going to take care of those he sends on mission? Yes. Is he going to take care of those who are proclaiming the gospel? Yes. Now, it may not be to the level that you want, but he will take care of every need, won't he? Right, Chad? It's an amazing thing here that Jesus is teaching these disciples because it goes totally against how we in the modern Western church approach going on evangelism and missions. We want to prepare every detail and every provision and make sure everybody's safe and everybody has everything they need before they get on the plane to go. Now, there is some wisdom in preparing and there's some wisdom in getting some insurance and there's some wisdom in making sure that you don't go into a place and die. Okay. There's, there's, there's wisdom there. Yet, if God has called us as the church to proclaim the gospel, why do we prepare everything on our own and leave God out of it? You see the point that Jesus is making here? Just as these apostles, they received authority, a special authority as leaders and teachers that Jesus himself is establishing. They are, they are receiving authority and a blessing from Christ. They're to impart this message of divine healing and, and lostness and everything uh, to the lost and everybody else in this authority. If these 12 apostles or to take provisions for themselves, here's part of what's happening. Number one, they would not be dependent 
on Christ. They would be dependent on themselves. Even if they took a little bit, even partially dependent on themselves is too much in in Jesus' ideas here. Jesus wanted them to learn dependence as he was preparing them for ministry. Think about that. He wanted them to learn dependence. There's nothing like not knowing where your next meal is coming from to depend on the Lord. I've always said this when we were raising our boys, and you can take this too, fathers. As your children are getting older, and mothers, it's okay to say this, hunger is a great motivator. There's nothing wrong with your babies going hungry to learn how to be dependent on Christ. Amen? There's nothing wrong with learning to depend on God's provision in order to de- be grow in Christ, to be an effective evangelist. That's what they're doing here. He's causing them to depend on him for all of their needs. The next thing here, we also have to remember there's a practical reason that Jesus is saying not to take a lot of bags. Remember, this is a short Quick mission. You've got to move quickly from one town to the next because you've got a lot of territory to cover. And if you're carrying a lot of stuff with you, it's going to slow you down. That's another, there's a practical aspect there. But think about this. If these apostles were to take extra baggage and extra money, according to verse 9, then they would miss out on learning how to depend on Christ. Remember, there's nothing like going around with no money to depend on God for all things. Take no money with you, nothing. But also don't, the other thought, don't take any money with you, but also don't receive money for what you're doing. Depend on me for all things. Because think about this. If salvation is dependent upon Christ alone, then I'm going to say preaching the gospel of Christ is dependent on Christ alone as well. If that's part of the mission that we're preaching, if the gospel is depend on Christ alone for your salvation, then showing them that I'm depending on Christ for everything I have is also part of the witness. Amen? You see what we're doing here? Now, but look here at the end of verse 10. I want to read all of verse 10 and then the end. No bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Now, Jesus is not sending these 12 out with no hope, and he's not going to send them out to starve. In other words, he says, the laborer deserves his food or deserves his wages. That means if I am sending you forth, you're working for me. And I'll make sure that you get what you deserve. You are, you are the laborers of the harvest. A connection back to Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. Praying for the harvesters the laborers of the harvest. That's you, apostles, he's saying, and I'm going to send you out and you don't need to worry about what you're going to get. You're not going to have to worry about where your next meal is going to come from. You don't have to worry about where you're going to sleep. You don't have to worry about the clothes on your back. I will take care of my workers in the kingdom. Amen? How many of us are to that level in our walk with the Lord? Dependent on everything that we need and it comes when we need it. Amen? That's what he's teaching these guys. So let's take a look here at verses 11 through 14. Now he's giving them some instructions here in verses 11 through 14 about once you arrive in a community, here's how you are to conduct yourself. Look here, verse 11. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you, verse 12, as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy... Let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, 
Let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Now, I've never been on a mission trip. I've never gone anywhere to preach that housing and provisions were not already planned before I got there. (laughs) And I kind of knew where I was going. But can you imagine being sent out by Christ to villages and towns in the area and you have no idea where you're going to sleep? Can you imagine depending on Christ to that level? When you arrive there, he's given them instructions. When you arrive in a village or a town, you kind of ask around in the community. Who is worthy of God here? In other words, who is the most fervent in serving our Lord? Who is that? You find out who that is and you go to them and you stay with them. That's God's provision for you. These disciples were to stay in homes where they were accepted, where the gospel was accepted. That's where they were to stay. Because think about that there is a tradition here that Jesus is talking about, talking about peace, because peace comes to the place where peace enters. And if Christ is the peace that we're proclaiming, those who receive this message, they will receive peace in their home. And that's where you stay. In other words, laborers of the kingdom, don't go somewhere where there's no peace. Don't go somewhere and stay and depend on someone who is not receptive of the gospel. In other words, you're setting yourself up here for for torment if you're not careful. But think about this. If Christ is the peace, if he is peace, he enters this world. The world that we live in is hostile to our creator God. Amen? And Jesus, as he comes to save the world, he's bringing the possibility of reconciliation between the hostile world and the holy God who created it. Likewise, as these men come into a town, they are to find a place and bring peace to that home. Now, the community or the household that that is not hostile to the preaching of the gospel, according to Jesus, they're going to receive a blessing from hosting the preacher. That's why if you ever get an opportunity to host a missionary or host a preacher, try to do so. There's a blessing in that. A genuine preacher of the gospel who comes into your home. Wow, what a blessing. That's also one of the things every time that I've gone on a mission or been somewhere, if anyone who accepts me into their home and provides for me during my stay, I literally pray for a blessing in that home. That's a biblical thing to do. Has anybody ever done that? You ever been invited as a guest? Have you ever prayed that God would bless that home? because they've welcomed you in there. This is a precedent that Jesus is talking about here. It's a wise thing. But think about this. Look here in verse 12. As you enter the house, greet it. Or like the King James Version says, and when you come into a house, salute it. What is Jesus talking about here? This is a common Jewish custom of salutation that when you come to a home and they welcome you in, you always come in and you you speak shalom. The idea of shalom is coming into the home. So Jesus is tying in the traditions of the Jewish community here into the mission. When you come into the house, you speak or you salute or you greet it with peace, which was a common practice. You preach shalom. Now, shalom means peace or prosperity. You you actually speak a blessing. You pray for a blessing on that home. That's what you do. This salutation can also be, think about this here in verse 12, when you come in and you greet it, 
How do you start a conversation with someone about the gospel? Anybody ever had gospel conversations before with people? How do you start it? Start it with a hello. You start it with a greeting. You start it with a welcoming time. You, you kind of break down the walls between one another. So this is also part of what Jesus is teaching these preachers here, these apostles. As you come into a home, you greet them. As you open up opportunities to preach the gospel, to open up conversation so that there's a time of learning from one another, that's part of the ministry. You see what's going on here? You speak peace. You speak shalom. And the house here, as they welcome the apostles in, the household would learn from the apostles. Likewise, the apostles would learn more about that family and how to minister to them and to proclaim to them the gospel, how to love on them and to pray for them. They also, the apostles, as they come into a house like this, there's also the reality that they would, by greeting the home and staying with them in peace, they would have opportunity to learn the genuine nature of the household. This household may have a reputation in the community for piety, but you don't get to know the genuine heart of the home until you stay there. And so while these, God, while these apostles are staying with these greet, these people who welcome them in, on one hand, they receive the blessing of God, but then on the other hand, as you continue to read here, verses 13 and 14, if the house is worthy, let your peace or shalom come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. So right there in verse 12, you see, or in verse 13, you see that you may come in with the perception of peace and godliness. But after you stay there for a little while, you may realize the truth. It could just be a facade. If that's the case, you withdraw the peace. You shake the dust off your feet and you move on. Now, that's a hard thing for us to hear. Think about this. Once, if these apostles were to learn the genuine nature of a house, that it is actually a house of hypocrisy rather than genuine godliness and piety, what are they to do? They're to shake off the dust from their feet. If their message is rejected in a town or in a house, they are to leave. Now, we... Baptist Christians, we evangelicals, we don't like that. <laughs> We're supposed to stay and fight through the struggle. <laughs> We're supposed to stay and preach the gospel until they respond, right? It's difficult for us to be rejected. How many, anybody here enjoy being rejected? If you are rejected, how, what does that do to you? It's going to cause you to feel despair. If someone rejects what you're saying to them, if someone rejects you outright, wants nothing to do with you, that's hurtful. Amen? And so I think what Jesus is doing here, he's, he's giving these apostles encouragement, but also permission. He's teaching these apostles to not be hindered by ingratitude of the world. When you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you proclaim the kingdom of heaven, you will be rejected. Just get, get, get prepared for it, Christian, right? Get prepared for it. Just because you proclaim the gospel doesn't mean that people are going to receive it. But if we allow our feelings to stop the proclamation of the gospel because we don't want to get hurt again, that's a tool of the devil. So Jesus is kind of preparing these apostles here 
He knows that if they are rejected, he knows that they're going to fall into distress and despair, and that's going to hinder the mission. So by giving them permission, he actually commands them to shake the dust off their feet. He's saying, it's okay for you to turn away from where the gospel is rejected. It's okay to move on if necessary. That's what he's saying. Don't allow distress and and fear of failure to hinder the ministry I'm sending you to. So he's preparing these leaders to be leaders. When you go and you preach the gospel and they reject you, don't be afraid to turn around and leave. And that's a sign to them that they have failed. Not not the the apostles, but the the town or the home. Because distress and insecurity are tools of the devil to hinder the gospel. He will, this is the last thing I want us to see here, and I actually want to use this as encouragement for us all, that distress and insecurity are actually tools of the devil to hinder the proclamation of the gospel. Because what happens when we feel sorry for ourselves and being rejected? Our attitude now turns to ourselves and our feelings, and we're no longer focused on the Christ, the Savior of the world, whom we are proclaiming. Amen? If we are proclaiming Christ, that's where our focus lies, not on our emotions, not on our feelings. Now, that sounds cold-hearted, doesn't it? But I think Jesus here is actually being very compassionate. If we are called to honest, if we are called to genuinely and honestly proclaim the gospel, we're also going to be dependent upon Christ to prepare the hearts of those who hear the gospel. God Himself, the Father in heaven, will justify those who are worthy, and He will pro- He will reveal those who are unworthy as we proclaim the gospel. There are those who will hear it. There are those who will not. We're not called to discern who hears and who does not, but we are called to respond to those who receive the gospel. We speak blessing over their lives and their home, and we say thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for letting us stay here. May God bless your home. Yet if they reject the gospel, we don't pray peace on that home. We shake the dust off our feet and we move on. Why? Because who is in charge of the heart? It ain't us. It's God, His Holy Spirit, who will change the hearts. Perhaps by seeing our rejection of them as they reject us, perhaps God will even use that to stir their hearts. He'll use it as judgment. No man is qualified to preach the gospel whose feelings do not respect how serious the call of the gospel is. The call of repentance and forgiveness as part of the kingdom of heaven is serious. And if someone refuses to hear the gospel and they refuse to repent, they refuse to turn from their sin, they refuse to turn from their self-righteousness, the seriousness of that rejection is eternal. And no one is worthy of preaching the gospel who does not see the importance of that. But I'm also going to say no one is qualified to preach the gospel who also does not feel compassion and agony and distress when they're treated with contempt. It's a kind of a both and. 
Anyone who preaches the gospel and they are so cold-hearted about it, well, I preached the gospel to you and you didn't hear me, so... Right? I just... Y'all get wet on the front row. Right? Well, you didn't hear me, so... That's not the heart of a preacher either. But the compassion and the agony of they did not hear the gospel should tear our hearts apart. Yet at the same time, Christ is saying, through that agony, understand you have permission to move on. That, I mean, that would force a preacher of the gospel to depend on Christ, wouldn't it? It'd force them to. So in other words, Jesus is saying he's not calling for cold-heartedness. He's saying preach the gospel where it is received. Preach where the gospel message prospers. If it doesn't prosper, don't waste your time. Move on. Lastly, here in verse 15, Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. That is a warning of judgment that should cause all who understand what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah to shake in their boots. That if you reject the gospel, if you reject the preachers who come and preach the gospel, the judgment against you will be worse than the fire that came down from heaven and consumed. Sodom and Gomorrah. That should shake everybody to the core. Amen. That's, that's important. Rejecting Christ is more dangerous than living in sin like Sodom and Gomorrah did. As much as God hated those cities and destroyed them, those who reject the gospel have no more hope because Christ is the last hope for our lost world. You reject that, that's it. And so this is what Jesus is doing. He's preparing these 12 men for mission. He's preparing them to evangelize. He's preparing them to depend upon Himself, depend on Christ the Savior for all things. Are you ready for that? Has Christ called you to proclaim the gospel where you are, where you live, where you work? Is He calling you to go to a particular place, to leave town, to leave your family, to leave your comfort zones, to go somewhere? Boy, that would really force people to depend on Christ, wouldn't it? Everything you need will be taken care of. God provides. You may be sleeping on a concrete floor, but at least He gives you a roof over your head. Anybody here slept on a concrete floor when they go overseas? Yeah, that's fine. I've done that. When I came back home to my soft bed, I couldn't sleep anymore because I'd gotten so used to the concrete floor. <laughs> but it's amazing to watch God transform people when they obey Him. It's amazing to watch Him transform people's hearts and lives as they depend on Christ in a situation that they're not they're not prepared for or, or that scares them to death. It's amazing to watch people transform as, as Christ changes them when they obey and they depend on Him. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. And dear God, I thank You for the words of Your Son, Jesus Christ, as He, as he teaches these 12 apostles, Lord, He's teaching us too. 
You're calling us to proclaim the gospel. And so, God, I pray that all of us here who are, who are forgiven and, and part of your kingdom, that you would command us to go forth and that you would show us where it is we take our first steps. And that, Lord, you would prepare us to go into the unknown. But as we go into the unknown, Lord, we have you and we know you and you know us. And that's amazing. Father, there are, there are some here in this room and those who are listening who do not know you. And as your word proclaims at the end of time and final judgment, you may say to them, I, know, I don't know you either. Lord, I pray that your, your word today, your, your, the words of your son Jesus would resonate with them and show them that they are the ones being preached to. And do they receive peace and blessing for hearing it? Or do they receive judgment for rejecting it? Lord, that's, that's a powerful truth in your word. Correct us who are children in your kingdom for when we fail to depend on you. But Father, I also pray that you would soften the hearts of those who are resisting the gospel. That you would soften them and change their wills to be your will so that they would too be forgiven. Lord, I pray as we close out our service today that you would be pleased with us, that you would hear our praise, that you would be pleased with our lives. Lord, as we depart here, I pray that you would cause us to look around and say, where is it that we're going? Where is it that our Savior is sending? Change us, Father, to be in alignment with your will, dependent and holy holy trusting. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.